Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I've got a treat for you guys because we are continuing with our series of bringing CMOs and marketing leaders onto the program so you can hear about their journey and their recipes for success. And today I'm really pleased to be joined by Julie Knight. Julie and I actually live in the same town. And I have to tell you guys right now, I know you can't see it because you're on a podcast, but I can see her smiling face. And that is really nice because when we do see each other these days, it's with masks on at Starbucks or the Safeway. So Actually, now, you know, there there you are, Julie. It's great to see you. Thanks yeah, for joining. Yeah, it's good, good to see you. It's sort of like the old days when we didn't have to, you know, wear masks or sit in our home offices. But, uh, but nonetheless, always... Uh, Always good to see you and uh, and and your wife Tiffany um, at the market or wherever. And I'm just glad everybody is safe and sound. It is it is really like emotionally a very different experience. You really don't understand COVID until you actually have this contrast, right? So yeah. I could see you a few weeks ago and you have a mask on and you know you and your husband are having coffee and then now we can actually see each other. And it's a different different energy. Yeah. I can't wait until this is over. But I don't wish anything away because I'm sure there's silver linings in in all of it. Um, Absolutely. Certainly. So today you and I talked about um, one big thing was kind of a, the playbook of the first year at CMO. Um, for those of you who want to connect with Julie, uh, easy to find on LinkedIn, Julie Knight, mm-hmm. A-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, and she is the CMO of Unit 4. And you have been there now for almost a year, about, about 11 year. months. Yeah, yeah, about a year. I did a little consulting before I became uh, officially the CMO, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good year. It's been a very busy year as as we kind of chatted in the prep, and um, I can absolutely give you give you the rundown on on the first first year kind of highlights. But I was uh, I was brought in by um, the CEO who I know from my days at SAP Success Factors, a gentleman by the name of Mike Etling. So if there's any SAP Success Factors alums out there, um, Mike is doing well and living in Florida and running a global company from Boca Raton. So there you have it. Yeah, Yeah. it's worked out well for he and his family. Um, But I was brought in really to reimagine marketing. And I don't mean to use that uh, as um, sort of a, you know, just kind of throw away word. It really was mm-hmm. to reimagine marketing. It walked into really to a situation with a company that um, was thirsty for a brand and an identity in the market. And that was a big part of, of what we worked about. And we can talk a little bit more about that, that experience. Uh, it was also a company in search of a marketing organization. We had a lot of marketers, uh, a lot of really talented people, but no real firm marketing organization structure, leadership, vision, mission, strategy. There was really yeah. nothing. And I think a lot of people would admit, yeah, that was really the case. And we've uh, we designed an org. It's nothing fancy, really simple, basic functions, but put in leadership um, have a, a lot of great, energetic, um, creative teams uh, that are working hard every every day, every day. You feel like not not to break your flow, but can I ask one? Do you feel this year that you guys have worked harder than you've in the past? Now it's always it's always hard to boot marketing, right? Especially if you're like you said, you're kind of taking what marketing has been at Unit Four to the next level. But 
What about this year compared to any other years? And you can come back to it if you want, Julie, but I'm just curious to get your take on things because it's both for you a year of building really a next-gen marketing department, but at the same time doing it in the COVID era where oh, it's yeah, hustle. I would I would say, I you know, the first half of the year, you know, let's call it kind of, you know, June to January, we thought we were really busy because we were going through designing the organization, hiring people and doing the rebrand. Uh, and then we started the next year thinking, okay, we have a lot of things in place. Um, we have a lot of things that we want to go do and then march it. And, uh, and suddenly the world changed. And um, yes, it definitely felt like we got a lot busier. Um, and the reason is that our, a couple of things, number one, we had to to shift a lot of what we were doing um, to to address things like no physical events, which was uh, is was a big part of our tactic mix, just because of the nature of our customers and they really like face to face engagement. Um, and the second thing, our role in helping the company guide its messaging internally uh, to really connect with its employees, connect with the employees connect with our customers became high demand. Um, and then how we were messaging to the marketplace. So a lot of the heavy lifting really did fall on the comms team and on the content marketing team um, to, to scale it and scale it really quickly. And then, oh, by the way, we we're launching a brand new website. Uh, yeah. And that all, uh, most of that work held, um, occurred when everybody was distributed and we were unable to, to get together in person and, um, you know, just uh, an excellent communication skills and collaboration to make that happen. But yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been crazy busy. And, um, you know, we also are working on just helping people try to find that balance between home and life with home and home or home and work when home and work are right now one place. Absolutely. And this this has been a tough week for a lot of our employees. We have a couple of single moms, so big shout yeah, out to them. At, at, that's a tough enough role. But now when you work at home and you are adding in, you know, be a school teacher and IT administrator because of homeschooling and everything, it's it's pretty daunting. And so we're being extremely supportive of our employee base is going through a lot yeah, of transition same. right now with their family. You said to me, I remember this the other day, you said, it feels like we're the Kardashians. Like we're all on camera all the time. What, what's is, that like for your team and you? Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, so unit four, it had always made liberal use of video conferencing, uh, just by the nature of how spread out we are as a company and how distributed teams are. But nobody ever really used video. So it was always something where you hopped on teams and there could be, you know, 15 people on and it was just like the little circles. And then there would be people talking. And, um, yeah. but we made the, the move to, to have people um, put their video on. And initially it was, wow, that's really exciting. We get to see people and, you know, wow, yeah. that's really great. And then it, the fatigue set in. And, mm -hmm. and the thing is, is that you, um, you feel like you have to be on. You have to feel, in many cases, like you have to mind your P's and Q's. Um, the other thing, and I, I've done a lot of reading on it, is it opens a door into your personal world that, that perhaps you just would never have done. And there's that, that bit of, it's, not necessarily invading your privacy, but maybe just, you know, TMI 
and yeah. um, and and there's no there's no rest, right? That you can't just when you're exhausted, you know, kind of just tune out because everybody sees whether you're where whether you're engaged or not. So reminding people to you know put in more spacers in their in their calendars or or for your international listeners diaries so that they can take a break because when you're talking about 6 to 8 hours of sitting on calls with a lot of people or you're doing a lot of presenting it yeah. is it's physically exhausting and i yeah. know a lot of our folks just at the end of the day are you know beeline to the pillow they're so tired yeah, no, yeah. well said I've got a few questions for you about sure. um, the year one as, as the new CMO. So mm-hmm. I, I remember in my career, um, there was a comment like, oh, we got a new head of marketing. I guess we're going to get a new logo. You know, the sarcasm from sales <laughs> about, yeah. you know, all the new interior decorating. Right. That, that about the bells do. and whistles that come with yeah. the CMO. Yeah. Yes. So, so talk about, I mean, you come into a company and, you know, how do you know if a rebrand is needed? You've been at a, a few companies as CMO. How do you know that there's a new website to do? And how do you prioritize that? How do you, how do you take these big initiatives and decide this is something we need to do and it's going to be important for driving revenue or driving growth or for the next phase of the journey? How do you figure that out? There's there's a couple ways. This situation was a little different, but uh, you know, just from from prior roles and in being part um, of teams that have had to take those decisions, um, you know, you, you walk into a situation in which maybe the company is taking a um, you know expanding their portfolio, and they may have out the brand may represent something about the original part of the portfolio and now you're you're expanding to touch other lines of business and other buying centers and perhaps that logo or even the company name just doesn't feel like it you know you, you've outgrown that you've outgrown the clothes so to speak yeah. um, and perhaps the name is just feels disconnected to what you do mm-hmm. uh, and then the other thing and, and I've been very fortunate not to run into this situation, but it could very well be that there are some negatives that you um, you can't necessarily outgrow, um, like Enron, for example. For those who yeah. <laughs> remember that, um, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, um, you know. There's how, how do you recover from that? Um, yeah. And and the new name and new brand and all of that new identity is really warranted in this particular case. Before I ever came in, um, that was something that was was on the was on the on the to do list. And the reason mm-hmm. for that was very simple: um, our investors, our partners, uh, our customers, uh, the list on and on employees really didn't know what unit couldn't describe what unit for was its purpose, um, what its, uh, what, what its narrative was. There was, mm-hmm. it was just this company and this company had mm-hmm. acquired a lot of companies that had also developed things organically, but it, it was a lot of things to a lot of different people, depending on what time you, when you joined the company or when as a customer, you became a customer and in what product you may have, um, you know, provisioned, and it could have been mm-hmm. one of the acquiring companies, and you can kind of see how this compa- complexity is building. And as we as we went through this branding exercise, what we really discovered is Unit Four didn't necessarily have 
any connotation to it. Uh, in fact, um, it was neither negative or positive. It just sort of was a name. And that was about it. And we, as we thought about it, and, and we, you know, did a lot of research, we discovered this is really an empty vessel, a vessel that could actually really be filled with a great story. And with that, we had an excellent tagline or strap line in, in business for people. And uh, that really has been the focus in terms of uh, our product focus, uh, the design, the development, all of that, our whole thinking around our employees and the customer experience, and ultimately mm-hmm. our customers' customer experience. And we mm-hmm. felt we could build on that. And um, as it as it's playing out, it's it's being re- received really well. So that was the, the driver was to to bring meaning. Uh, to it and meaning to who the company was and is, uh, and maybe just change perception in the marketplace that this isn't just a PE owned company with a lot of acquisitions that have come together and, um, you know, an a la carte menu of products. So uh, that was, uh, that was really the genesis behind it. And uh, we also obviously refresh the visual uh, identity and just, a very, you know, bring vibrancy and color and um, a sense of, of joy of, of human humanness to it. And mm-hmm. uh, that's gone a long way. Um, you know, uh, we'll see what the future brings, but for right now uh, it's, it's working out really well and um, people are resonating with it. Uh, we actually didn't have any negatives uh, from both our internal audience and external audience. So uh, that's great. Like, well, yeah, yeah. No, people really I, like I normally it. normally say there's like the one I call it the one third rule. It's just normally like one third loves it, one third hates it, and one third's just glad the project is no, is done. Yeah, and there probably yeah. were people maybe too a little too polite to but, say anything, but for yeah. the most part, people were really they felt it brought a new energy and a new yeah, vibrancy, that's great. Um, which is so critical in marketing and in the company as yeah. as well. Just, yeah, just have that feeling. Yeah, I've seen you know, that you know you you were at, at Success Factors. They've gone through some rebranding, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. And uh, me- I remember working with David Kane. David was one of the Success Factors, one of our very early clients at Demand uh-huh. Gen, going back to two thousand seven. I remember a meeting that that you and I were in back during the reflective era, and. Uh-huh. Um, I want to talk about people and who you hire today, because I remember in that meeting, either leading up to it or conversations after we we knew that there were some people in the room that were resistant to change. Yeah, Uh, there were some people who maybe felt like, don't move my cheese. This is the way things have been. And can we just keep it this way? So you and I talked about that as our as our teams looked at, like how to level things up there. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what you're looking for in hiring today in marketing teams, uh, either just, you know, the persona or skill sets, wherever you want to take it? Wow. You know, uh, the questions that I asked myself about hiring now on August 19th, 2020, um, are different than the questions I asked at the start of the year. And I'll, I'll walk you through that, that thinking, but the people that, you know, in general, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, is that, you know, we in general, in general, as we redesigned and, and rebuilt the marketing organization was, you know, where, where did this need to go to meet the needs of the business? And, um, and so that it was function. Um, it was our own personas, um, of the type of thinkers, the type of doers, uh, risk takers and in, in, in the good sense, um, 
people that felt comfortable with change and in ambiguity. Uh, but ultimately, also, we needed a certain amount of people who had sat in the chair, because mm-hmm. as a leadership team, you can't be involved in every project at, at at, at the most tactical level, otherwise, you, you're, I mean, then you're not going to get anything done. I mean, like, you're just going to become doing the project. And when I first started, there was a lot, a lot of that. I mean, I was, you know, hands dirty, working on event plans and, and, you know, writing blogs and, and stuff. I, I mean, I actually really love doing it. But you know, it's probably not what they're they think about when they bring out a CMO. Yeah, so right. um, there's a certain amount of that that you know, like, yeah, that's okay to do, but we have to then transition in order to scale and, and be able to meet the needs of, you know, what we need to be doing in our respective regions and for products and all of that. And um, so, you know, people that we can, you know, drop in and, and they can, you know, kind of once they understand how the organization works and all of that, they can, they can hit the ground running I would think in this environment, not only finding people who are good at working remotely, but you, if you double click into that, like people who can take initiative, people who are going to get shit done and, yeah. and not have to have that conference room or meeting environment to keep the ball moving, but can actually use, you know, a, a remote session as a check in, but, but work independently when, when it's not there. Yeah. I wanted to. I want to ask you another question, which is, so back in my tenure as a marketing leader, I never really worked or led a large marketing department. I mean, when okay. I led them, I've, I've been part of large marketing organizations, mm-hmm. but not. And so I'm curious today, uh, I haven't ever asked anyone this question. How do you figure out how to size the marketing organization? How many people you need or how many resources and type of resources? How do you approach that as a, as a CMO these days? Um. Well, there's always the budget, right? It's also what, you know, there's, there's, there's always the guidelines of what, what you can afford. But I mean, it's really about, you know, you come in, we, when we went through the process um, for both building the budget, and then obviously headcount, we did it based on the projects, the skill sets, who we already had, and then really where we needed to fill in the, the blanks, and also potentially, move people or maybe in some cases move people up because the, the, what, what they were doing, what that function was doing was, was no longer required for where, where we were going. Um, So, you know, our, we take a fairly pragmatic view um, in, in, in organizational design and, and, and budget creation and ask, we, it is very much tethered to, um, our, our growth, our growth initiatives as a company, uh, very much tethered to, to revenue and pipeline generation. Um, so everything has got really a, a lens. Um, mm-hmm. We try, I mean, it is, uh, it's an organization of, of almost 70 people, but, you know, we're in a lot of different markets. Uh, you know, EMEA for us is not just UK and, and maybe France and Germany. It's, it's, you know, we got a sizable team in the Nordics, UKI, Central Europe. Oh. I mean, it's, yeah, no, well, and the, but the company's origins are there, Benelux. So the fact is, um, we have to, we have to go deep in, in, in some of those markets. And then the US is really a, a growth mark, market and, uh, as is Asia Pac. So there, there's a lot of territory to be covered. And, uh, but it, the, really the, the divining rod, if you will, uh, is, is tethered to, um, 
is tethered to, to growth. And then, you know, we, we are PE owned. And so there is uh, that, that strict adherence to EBITAC and, and Mm -hmm. um, what our contribution is and, you know, making sure we're in the line. So, um, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, I I have to say um, the thing that I appreciate most and I, you know, a one word of advice um, for marketers is uh, become best friends with your CFO. Uh, And the reason I'll tell you that is that, um, they can really help you in thinking through, um, you know, the various business, like anytime we make a, a monetary ask, we, we put together a business case, but it's, it's really a good interactive discussion. Um, and also when you need a little help, they, they can help and get really creative, but um, they've been, and they were an integral part and remain uh, in the planning process. Um, we meet with our FP&A partner weekly. He's on my staff meeting. He's part of my staff. And I don't mean like staff in a staff sense, but just like he's part of the team. And yeah. um, and our CFO is is absolutely fantastic. And um, yeah, but that's, that's really how we do it is we kind of go through and we understand trade-offs and maybe if like, we need the headcount, but like we can't do it now, but maybe we can do it a little later on or maybe get a contract. I mean, it's like, how do what do you, what do you need to accomplish? What, yeah. What is, you know, at the end of the day, what is this going to deliver? Um, And then what is, what are the metrics that demonstrate that you've delivered outside of, of, of pipeline? Um, And then, you know, how's that going to, how's that all going to work? And that's the process we go through and that's the process we're going to, we're going to, yay, we're going to go through it again for FY21 planning. (laughs) Such, such great advice. I mean, underscored, I don't know if that's our, our podcast session title, but we'll make sure we get it in the notes because you always think about the integration and the relationships that you need trust and respect with sales and with customer success. But your point about having that relationship with a CFO, most CFOs, at least that I've experienced, they kind of show up like investors. They kind of show up like, I've got this pool of money of the company's money, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to work with the company to invest this where we're going to grow top line revenue and and attainable margins and profits, like you said. So the more that they understand what marketing's initiatives are and the why behind them and the results that that will do, the more that they might help you dice off some of that, you know? So instead of like having 6% of revenue in marketing's budget or 8%, there's companies who spend considerably more than that. Well, where is that? And it's, you know, can marketing's investments and activities drive those results? Love that piece of advice. You guys used to do a lot of events. Do I have that right? I think, I think yeah, you mentioned that you the, a lot. The number that, yeah, it's like, I'm, it's not that I'm embarrassed to say it, but, but it's just, you know, it, again, it's, it's, it's how um, really the business has grown and how that, in fact, a lot of the the customer engagement and intimacy has happened is face-to-face events. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, on the list, it was like close to 170. Now, we, we knew going into the year that there was probably a percentage that were going to be on the chopping block before mm-hmm. COVID even hit. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. you've got things that you want to do and, and, you know, this looks pretty good, but, you know, as you get into the year, you're like, ah, you know, okay, do we really need to do this? Well, uh, so COVID hits and no moss on the face to face. So no. that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's over. that's not yeah. happening anywhere. Um, yeah. Even with those countries that made their best efforts to try to stay open, like Sweden, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was, 
scrap it, zero it out, uh, uh, flip to, to virtual events and um, other mes- method, you know, other types of events that, you know, whether it was webinars or virtual roundtables or, ver- you know, mini events, if you will. And, and they actually turned out really well. Our customers, um, you know, we, we thought, um, that maybe they would, there would be pushback and it's like, I don't understand. And I, I'm turned off by this. I'm turned off by these webinars. I don't really want to, that's not the way I want to engage with you or the, or, or our account managers. Cause there's a, a really good close relationship with them. But as it's turned out, we've, uh, it, it, they've worked out, they've worked out well. Um, we are looking forward to adding face-to-face back into the mix because, again, it's it's something that we know our, our customers enjoy and and uh, it's it's something our sales enjoy doing. Uh, but uh, the 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 virtual side of it um, definitely has is a big part of what we do, and I think uh, yeah, our customers are growing comfortable with that. Partners and and our prospects are growing um, more comfortable with it. I got, I got two more areas that I'd love for you to weigh in on. Some people have said to me recently, they're kind of at that director level, VP level in mm-hmm. their role, and they're like, I want to become CMO. And so what advice would you have for them, which is how to take you know, their where they are today? What does it take to get to CMO um, if you have advice and insights there? Because you've done it. Uh, and then also take this as you will. Like you've completely rebuilt your team in, in many ways, and you've done that virtually. Yeah. And it's so important as a leader to build trust and rapport, um, to to have uh, effective check-ins and goal setting and performance coaching. And I'm curious in both areas, uh, advice that you have for folks that are either struggling with the same challenges because they're in a new role or their team's very remote. And then also that, now how'd you get there? How'd you get to be CMO? Do you think when you when you look back and unpack uh, what you did either intentionally or or by accomplishment? Uh, I would say it's a mix of intentionally accomplishment and unintentional. Uh, you know, um, I would say that, and I, this is advice that I give to a lot of people, which is, um, sometimes you just need to walk through the door. Um, and the reason I say that is, um, for those of you, especially for those of you that are in maybe mid-sized to larger organizations, opportunities often present themselves, um, whether it's a stretch assignment or just to take on maybe a little bit broader role or remit, um, saying no is not a bad thing uh, because y- your um, your ability to to stretch and flex uh, at a mo- at drop of a hat is is an important thing and it's a skill that will serve you well when you become a, a CMO, because that's, that's really kind of what you, what you do. It's like no day is the same. Uh, and sometimes you're going to be way down in the weeds and sometimes you're going to be kind of surveying and, and, and working at more of a strategic strategic level. Uh, so um, for me, a lot of it was walking through the door. Uh, the other piece of it was, just building those experiences that if you stitched them all together, it would make for a compelling business case to be considered um, uh, as a CMO. My first start was in a smaller company um, and it was in the HCM or human capital management space. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I could take that step because I took, I took a couple things off the table that I was 
pretty, pretty comfortable doing. Like I knew the HR space. So I didn't have to learn that. Um, most of what they were looking for, I had done in functional roles. So then the last bit was really then just kind of taking on things that I hadn't really done. And, mm -hmm. and, and so you de-risk, uh, going into to that. And, and I think you can then make a, a comfortable case um, as to why, as a person who's never, you know, worn the CMO hat, um, that you're, you're a good bet. And by mm -hmm. the way, there's all of this other experience that you have. And, you know, CMO, large company, small company, it is all about grit and getting stuff done. And, um, and that it's a, it's hustle, uh, mm -hmm. because, they want you to start and they want you to, you're not coming into a role where you're just going to get into that comfortable chair. Um, when they bring in some CMO, regardless of where it's usually that they want some stuff done. They want, yeah. you know, it could be more demand gen. It could be a rebrand. Uh, it, it could be that you have to fix the analyst relations, you know, uh, program customer. I mean, the list goes on <laughs> and all of it, <laughs> all of it. Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, but it's about, you know, okay, get going and, yeah. um, and, and, and being able to sell them on that, that is your mindset and, uh, that you're a builder. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, I think these days where you go, um, are you able to attract talent and do you have in whether in, 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 it's inclusive of your functional roles, have you been able to recruit, manage, retain, uh, teams and whether you've grown them through, uh, internal mobility, mm -hmm. or you've or you have um, grow, um, acquired, you know, externally. That's a big thing because yeah. hey, listen, you don't have to pay recruiter costs, and you um, bring in people that equally understand urgency, understand what you're, what the CMO is trying to do, what the business is trying to do, and um, actually get stuff done. So that's uh, you know, it's it's kind of simple, but that's how it's worked for me. Um, I think the other thing uh, is also going into a company. Um, it's working your network because, you know, part of being successful is working with people that uh, maybe, you know, you like, you can learn from in this situation. It's somebody that I've worked for in the past and actually a couple of other people on the leadership team who are now there that I've had uh, the joy of working with. Um, it's okay. It's just, you know, you're bringing the band back together and yeah. um, that that's a powerful thing, too. So those are opportunities yeah. to take a look at somebody you really like uh, working for or who has become a CEO. Um, why not uh, give give her a call and say, you know, I'm looking to take that next step. And I've really enjoyed and learned from you in the past. What are the, you know, the worst they're going to say is no. Right. Or the other is yeah. like, wow, I'm really flattered. I hadn't thought yeah. about you in that context. Let's let's go have coffee or let's have a virtual yeah. coffee. That's great advice. All right, last question for you. Uh, behind your head, over your left shoulder, it looks like there's Princess Leia, and I, I'm I'm curious to know the story behind Princess Leia. Um, so Princess Leia was a um, an award uh, that was given. We were actually going through um, so putting together um, the Run Simple campaign at SAP. Okay. And, um, and so there was a, a group of us within the global programs team who were, were working really hard in, in taking what was going to be the, the, the global campaigns and then, to, and then bringing those down into, uh, actual, um, 
actual campaigns themselves and, um, you know, digital, uh, demand gen campaigns. And so that was for, you know, just, you know, working hard, bringing a good team together. And, um, as they say, getting stuff done. Uh, and adorable. I love the princess Leia award. It looks like an award. At first I was like, is that a, is that a like action figure? She into that? Cause I've got a bunch you can see behind behind me for different reasons, but, uh, that's cool. The princess. I have that. And and there's a baseball signed by Mariana Rivera, uh, right next to it. Who's, um, arguably the, the best closer ever in baseball. So, um, (laughs) yeah, you know, there's got, Things that um, bring back good memories and, and inspire me uh, and inspire, you know, as I tell the stories to my team about, you know, we um, we're just in it to, to really help the business grow and bring a lot of yeah. passion and fun along the way. Love it. And you can tell, I mean, just just for the people that are maybe meeting you for the first time, you bring such passion and energy to what you do and you care about that and look for that uh, in your people. Um, we all have insecurities in life uh, and sometimes you got to fake it until you make it. But having that, having that um, taking risk and then realizing, you know what, I can do this. And then you take more risk and realizing okay. you can do this. And, and it just builds upon that. And I think, you know, for anybody listening who's maybe not at that CMO role and, and wonders what the playbook needs to be for leadership, but, you know, a lot of great insights, including about partnering with the CFO, a great one. But yeah. it's such a multifaceted role these days. I don't know if like product marketing is underneath you, but it is. You know, when you, it is. Yeah. I mean, so. We didn't even have it before. It like it didn't wow. exist at the company. So, yeah, it was fortunate to be able to bring somebody on who had just great experience, both product marketing and uh, in campaigns. And it was really a good blend for what we were trying to do. And um, fantastic and have built, uh, it's a, we call it the small and mighty team, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I tell you, the amount, amount that this team does in a day, it's, you know, it puts, it puts a lot of larger teams to shame because I mean, they, they really, they really work it. That's great. Well, we are planning a little virtual, more intimate marketing leadership exchange, just pulling a bunch of marketing leaders together and letting you guys just talk kind of intimately and privately about what you're all dealing with and struggling with. So I'll make sure you you find out about that. I think, oh, I you love know, that. That'd be a lot of fun. I'll, yeah. I'll learn such great things from each other. I joined a, a peer group years ago uh, for CEOs because I was like, I better figure this out now that I'm a CEO. Right. And And you find that there's so many common challenges and recipes of success that when you share with each other really helps. So I encourage you, if you guys aren't not connected to Julie Knight, uh, connect with her on LinkedIn. Julie, so nice to actually spend this kind of intimate time without a mask. And I look forward to seeing you at, at Starbucks. I'm a yeah. spitted feta wrap guy, by the way. I don't know if we, if you ever picked that up, but that's pick that up from me, but that, that's my go-to at, at, no, the, at the Starbucks. I like, I like that. Well, it was lovely to see you again. And, uh, and I really do appreciate, um, the time and, uh, just talking about the stuff that, that I love and to, to people that have a shared passion. And as Dave said, yeah, absolutely. Feel free to, to reach out on LinkedIn and, um, you know, if you have questions or, Hey, you mentioned this, tell me a little bit more about it. Um, as most people know, who know me, it's just like the door's always open. So, um, and I wish all of you the very best, be safe. Um, and, um, you know, as they say, there's a lot of things to work out, work on, we're busier than ever. Uh, but just stay focused on those A priorities, stay focused on the things that matter. Cause, um, that's really what's going to help drive your business, especially during, uh, times of difficulties, which I think we're all facing at the moment. Yeah. Awesome advice. Work on what's important. Maybe not urgent, but certainly the urgent and important stuff. And, and don't do any of that stuff that 
is not important. No. Get rid of that because it can tax you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you guys are having a safe uh, and as best back to school as possible. Challenging times for everybody right now, but we're all in it together. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 